Thank you for choosing the podcast of East Haven Baptist Church in Brookhaven, Mississippi. For more information on the ministries of East Haven and to access videos and sermon notes from our services, visit www.easthaven.net. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Colossians chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 5. Colossians 3, starting with verse 5. Paul writes, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked, when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with, thanks, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Pray with me. Lord God, we come before you and we give you thanks for this new year. And this morning as we look at your word, Lord, we pray that you might speak to our hearts, you might speak to our minds. As we look at the things that you have called us to put off, to die to, to put aside, and the things you have called us to live for and to put on, Father, we pray that you might grant us that wisdom and also the strength to obey you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is the season of resolutions. I don't know if any of you made New Year's resolutions. But this is the season for those New Year's resolutions. It's the new start. It's the start of a new year. We hope it will be considerably different than the previous year, I'm sure. But it's the start of the new year, so we make resolutions. We make commitments to do better. We make those covenants and those commitments and those contracts with ourselves. And in that, uh, you have some common ones, probably. Uh, we're going to lose weight get in shape, I'm going to save more money, maybe read the Bible more. We have those resolutions that we make. And the resolutions are a good thing. I'm not, I'm not saying anything negative about resolutions. I do know, and I'll give you a warning, it's very helpful to add some measurable components to those goals so you know if you've reached them. It's probably a good thing to say, not just lose weight, but to say, I'm going to seek, I'm going to make it a goal to lose so many pounds by such and such a date. Give yourself a deadline, right? I'm going to work out or I'm going to exercise four times a week. 
I'm going to save this much money every paycheck. I'm going, to, I'm, going to have, I'm going to commit to this reading plan for the Bible, and I'm going to set aside this time every day to read God's Word and get into God's Word. That way it's measurable. You know you can measure it. But let me give you a couple of warnings about these, about when we, take, we make those changes or we plan for those changes. One danger is this. We set it all up, and when we fail that first time, we say, oh, well, and we throw up our hands and we just forget the whole thing. Oh, well, I had my cheat meal was a little bit bigger and I exceeded my caloric intake for my, my cheat meal. Oh, you know what? I'm, I'm just not even going to worry about trying to eat right anymore. Oh, I missed a workout. I missed a trip to the gym. I missed an opportunity to run. Well, I'm just going to, I give up. You know, I, I haven't spent three days in a row. I've missed my time with God. So you know what? I'm just not even going to worry about that. Now, no, you, you get back on the horse. Right? You, 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 you made a mistake that doesn't make you a failure. Get back on the horse. Keep going. Keep, keep moving forward. Don't just stop. Now, some people say those sorts of things, when you set up those sorts of goals, that's legalism, and I don't do legalism. Well, that's not legalism. We're talking about discipline. But you'll find that sometimes the area where you need to change the most is the area where you're going to find the most resistance because you need to change in that place. And you, you have that tendency to just want to stay exactly the same. We want to stay the same physically. We want to stay the, stay the same spiritually so often. The pull of gravity seems very strong at the bottom of a rut. And so we're called to grow. We're called to make those changes based on what Colossians 3 tells us about putting off things and, and putting on certain things. And so we can't just give up. We can't just stop in that process of sanctification, no more than we should stop with those goals that we set. But can I tell you another danger? Here's the other danger. The other danger is we look at what is our next best step forward. The next best step we can take to grow. And we replace it with the next best, the next best step. What do I mean by that? We take the next best thing we should do in order to be obedient to Christ, so far as spirituality is concerned, and we can replace it with the next best thing. The thing that's not quite as good, but it's the next best. Instead of taking the next best step, we do the next best step. We do the thing that is good, but it's not the best. We do just enough so that we don't feel guilty, but not enough that we're going to be transformed. That's the big danger. That's the danger of our resolutions. We'll, say, we'll, we'll make resolutions about things that it doesn't cost us to change them. And then we feel good about ourselves because really nothing really changes. But we feel better about ourselves because at least we did something. Well, in the Bible, you find that we don't have room for that. When it comes to sanctification and, and God transforming us in our next best step spiritually, this is pretty serious. It's really serious. It's life and death serious whenever we approach that next best step with God. Because whereas a resolution speaks of commitment to do better, what we find in God's word is a surrender. There's a big difference in commitment and surrender. Commitment says, I'm going to do better. Surrender says, I'm going to relinquish more control 
to Christ. And so I want us to look at not, not all these other resolutions. I want us to look at this idea of our next best step spiritually for 2021. Because this passage in Colossians, and, and that's the, kind of the last time we're looking at that. I just wanted to give a setup by looking at Colossians chapter 3. This passage in Colossians talks about putting to death certain things, putting off certain things, putting away certain things, and putting on and living in certain ways. If you look at this passage we just read today, and if you make that the thing that you're praying for yourself and for your family and for our church for 2021, God will use that to transform you and transform your family and transform our church. But there are two major questions that have to be answered as we look at this. What must I put to death? What must I die to? And what must I live for? And those are the two questions I want us to look at today. And more specifically, how do you do that? Now, I want to be careful and explain. This is not some step one, step two, step three, go through this, feed everything in the machine and turn the crank and out pops the product. This is a lifestyle and this is a transformation that takes place as we walk in faith with Christ. So what must we die to and what must we live for that we find in the Bible if we are going to grow this year in Christ? Well, you find that that list in Colossians, you tell, it gives us a number of things that we die for, the works of the flesh, the works of who we used to be before we come to Christ, and then we are to live for the glory of God. But how do you do that? You know, sometimes people say, well, just have faith. What does that look like? What does that look like in the outworking? Oh, you just die to self. I know we've all heard that before. Oh, just die to self. You just need to die to self. What does that mean? What does that look like? How do I go through that process? Well, let's look at some of the things that we find we're talking about. What does it mean to die to self, first of all? First of all, know who you are in Christ. Know who you are in Christ. If you're going to take that next best step, the first thing you need to know is who you are in Christ. Now, if you're in Christ, we, we, go, we, we understand in Romans chapter 6, verse 11, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Now, if you're not a follower of Christ, sin is in control of your life. None of us, we're not in control of our lives. Sin's in control of our lives before Christ, and then Christ is in control of our lives after we come to Christ. So we're either controlled by sin or we're controlled by the Holy Spirit. That's ultimately it. Well, no, I'm my own person. No one controls me. No one, no one influences me. I, I, I am the captain of my destiny. I'm the one who controls every single bit of it. No, not, not according to the Bible. No. We are either slaves to sin or slaves to Christ. There's no in between. So if you are a Christian, you are to know who you are in Christ. Notice what Paul says. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. You make a mental calculation. Whenever you are tempted, you say, wait a minute, that's not who I am. I'm not, I'm not that's not who I am. I'm acting like my old self. I'm acting like the person I was before I came to Christ. Sin doesn't, sin does not have that control over me. 
I can make a mental calculation and say, but I am, I am dead to sin. One of my mentors said that being saved is sort of like, if you imagine a jail cell, and imagine that you were inside that jail cell, locked into that jail cell of sin. And whenever you come to Christ, it's as though Christ unlocks that door and opens that cell door and you can step out and now you are free. There's only one problem. That door does not close behind you. The door of that jail cell remains open. So if you want to go back in that jail cell and live like a prisoner of sin again, you can, but you don't have to because that door is open. You do not have to live in the bondage to the sin anymore. So whenever we live in bondage to sin, we are choosing to do so because Christ has set us free. We are to understand, we are to consider, King James, we are to reckon ourselves dead to sin. We are to know who we are in Christ. That's first and foremost. Secondly, we must identify sin for what it is. We identify sin for what it is. Listen to Psalm 39, verse 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Search me, O God. Search my heart. Search my mind. Know my thoughts. Know my motivations. And reveal those to me if I am motivated by, if I am clinging to, if I'm thinking the wrong thing, if I'm feeling the wrong thing, if I'm focused on the wrong thing, if I'm motivated by the wrong thing, God, show me. So many times we pray those blanket prayers. And we say, you know, we go before God and we'll say something like this. God, uh, forgive me for all my sins. Amen. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Which ones? Now, I don't mean necessarily when you're at a group of people that you start, you, you know, you're having a prayer time and, and the person's like, well, I'm going to start confessing. And, you know, I've been in those situations. We, I was in a, a prayer group one time many years ago. And this guy uh, decided he was going to confess to everybody everything that he had done over the last couple of weeks. And, uh, and afterwards, I told him, I said, might not be a good idea. To, to, he goes, well, no, we're supposed to confess our sins to each other. And I was like, I don't know if you really needed to say all of that. Because there are some folks here that, um, that, 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 that just, anyway, probably not. There were just some things you shared that maybe, maybe it was, it was not a, a, the greatest idea to do that, Right. I'm just, but he didn't, we were not, it was not a group. Now I say this, it was not a group of people that were trusted and vulnerable with each other. We had some people in the group that liked to, you know, I could tell they're sitting there patting their foot because they're just like, I can't wait to get out of here and get on the phone. And, you know, I can't wait to get out of here and tell all my friends exactly what this person confessed to. Right. And that's what I was trying to warn him about. But we are to go before God and, and not just do those blanket things. When you're with God, allow God to search your heart. Allow God to search your heart through his word and point out areas where we are being disobedient or we're not living for Christ. And then confess those to him. God, this is an area where, God, I got angry. I was angry about that. I was sinfully angry about that. Lord, God, please forgive me. God, in this area, I was, I was tempted in this area of greed or, or lust or pride. And Lord, God, please, I, I hate that. And I, please 
please forgive me for that. We need to identify sin for what it is. Not just kind of slap a blanket over it and say, God, forgive me for my sins. And then move on. No, we need to consider our sin. We need to consider sin for what it is. And then we are to judge sin as being worthy of death. Now, this is the one that I can honestly say, this one idea really, truly transformed my prayer life whenever I would go before God and confess my sin. We are to judge sin as worthy of death. It's, it's like whenever um, you have kids or grandkids and they do something wrong and you, at, you tell them to apologize for what they did. And, I'm sorry. And they don't really mean it. It's through gritted teeth. Mm, I'm sorry. They're not really sorry. They're sorry they got caught. They're not sorry for what they did. But whenever we recognize sin for what it is and we consider sin as being worthy of death, we not only are saying, oh, I'm, I'm, God, I'm, I should not have done that, but we also say, God, because I should not have done that because I got caught. No, I feel bad because I got caught. No, God, this is an enemy of Christ. What I'm doing is an enemy of Christ. Look at Galatians 5, 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. What happened in those days when someone was crucified? Well, there was judgment that was passed upon them. There was a sentence that was passed. They were given a death sentence and then condemned to death and then they were put on the cross. So whenever we consider our sin, it's not just, okay, I'm just, I'm just going to, I shouldn't do that. I'm done with it and I'm going to move on. No, we should be able to say, I'm not going to, I'm going to forsake that. We're going to look at that in a moment. I'm going to forsake that. I'm going to turn away from that because this sin is worthy to die. This part of me that is operating in this way, it's worthy to die to that sin because Christ has already condemned that sin and Christ died because of that sin and because of his power. Now I can live in his strength. We're gonna look at that in just a moment. But because of that, this sin is worthy to die. You passed sentence on it. You condemn that sin to being crucified. And dying to self is painful. It is. The cross is painful. There's a part of you that does not want to be nailed to the cross. Your flesh, the habits of who you used to be, doesn't want to be nailed to the cross. Doesn't want to do that. Doesn't want to go there. Doesn't want to die. And by the way, no one is half crucified. You never heard that phrase. Somebody's like, well, that guy was half crucified. No. You're either crucified or you're not. You're nailed to the cross or you're not. And the problem is, I think that's what we want to do with our sin so often. It's what I want to do with my sin. I want to half crucify it. I'm just going to put one nail in. Not all of them. I'm not going to condemn it fully to death. Just kind of hurt it real bad. There's the old saying that so many times whenever we, we the Bible says we are to flee from sin, so often we just crawl away from it hoping that it will overtake us. We just kind of move away from it slowly okay it's uh you know and by the way don't let anybody tell you this i've had people tell me this you know sin is not any fun Uh, oh wait 
what kind of ridiculous statement is that? Yeah, it is. Uh, for a time. For a season. The Hebrews talks about the passing pleasures of sin. They're passing, but they are pleasures. It, it feels good for a little bit. We went up to Knoxville. Uh, we were up there over the last week or so. We met up with a college class, and we were up there and going along and um, taking them all these different places that all the locals eat. Uh, we talked to Craig, our, our student guy, and I kind of gave him a list and said, you know, yeah, you could go to all the places where all the tourists go and all the tourists eat and you can eat all the tourist things, or you can go where the locals keep going back and keep going back and keep going back. And so we took them to this place in Knoxville one evening called Cruz Farm Ice Cream. And it's a, a local dairy they make the ice cream, and we're talking rich. Rich doesn't even begin to describe this. And so I got a big cup of Cruise Farm ice cream, and then I went over and got some of their chocolate milk as well to drink with it. Because what goes better, I mean, it was, it was chocolate chip cookie dough ice cream. What goes better with chocolate chip cookies than milk? And just up the ante and do chocolate milk. So do homemade fresh ice cream with chocolate chip cookie dough pieces and a big bottle of their chocolate milk. By the way, it's not homogenized. They don't blend it all together. So it's got that thick layer of cream on top and you got to shake it all up before you drink it. So I had all of that sitting at the table and it was pleasurable for a season. And we're on our way back to Sevierville and I'm going, Ooh, it is hot in this van. I'm like, broke out in a flop sweat. Like just, what is going on? It is warm in this place. Yeah, yeah, it was warm. It was warm because of all the, the, the passing pleasures of the ice cream and the chocolate milk that I had enjoyed. Sin is fun for a season. Sin is fun on the front side. And then whenever all the payment catches up, it's not so fun anymore. So don't let anybody tell you that sin is not fun. It is for a passing season. So we have to judge sin as being worthy of death. And then we forsake sin by the power of Christ. We forsake it. We say no to it. Listen to what Mark chapter 8 verse 34 tells us. Calling the crowd to him with his disciples, this is Jesus, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Let him deny himself. Let him say no to himself. We say no to ourselves, to our own sinful motivations, to our own desires, to our own sinful needs, and we say yes to Christ and we follow him. We take up our cross. We live a crucified life daily for him. Well, how do we do that? Well, we say no. Here's the issue. We want all the, the I say feeling, but the feeling of the power on the front side of saying no to sin. We're like, God, if you'll just equip me and you'll give me all this power and you'll give me all this strength, and then I'll say no and I'll forsake it. Can I tell you what's been my experience? And I don't want to teach from experience, but I can tell you what's been my experience. It's this. When I say, Lord God, yeah, I want to do that. I know it's a passing pleasure, though. But Lord God, it's not going to bring honor and glory to you. And I want to live for you. So I'm going to say no. 
No, I'm not going to go there. Do you know what happens? In that moment, that is where you find that that power of the Holy Spirit to continue to say no. And no again and no again and no again. Did we do it perfectly? No. But we find that power resting in the power of Christ to be able to forsake it, to say no, to turn away from those things. That's where we find it. It's sort of like preaching. Uh, I've heard people talk about preaching and, and they say, you know, I, I, I get down there and I, gotta get, I have to get to a point and I just feel ready and I feel, I feel completely and totally like I've got this thing. I, I'm owning this thing. And I'm like, you better be careful. Because I've never stepped on stage where I felt like I totally got this thing. It's always like, Lord God, please, I'm just depending upon you. I am going to rely upon you. I am in your hands. You've got this thing, oh God, and you've got me. And I know the way that you're leading. And Lord God, I'm asking you to speak. But it's the same thing whenever we approach our sin. We have to say, I, I know I'm... I know that Christ has given me his Holy Spirit. I know that I am equipped, but I've got to say no. And then we see the power of the Holy Spirit working to help us to continue to deny ourselves. Romans chapter 8, verse 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. How do we die to self? It's by the power of the Spirit. It's not a commitment. I'm just going to try harder. No, it is I am surrendering to you, O oh God, and I am surrendering to the power of the Holy Spirit working within me. What must we die to? We die to sin. There may be some things, some resolutions that you have thought of this year, some things that's just between you and God where you have said, God, this is an area, this is an area I... This needs to change this year. I want to make a fresh start in this area. I want to step away from these things. God, I don't want to, I don't want to live in this way anymore. It's not just a matter of, I'm going to try harder. Although there is effort, yes. But it's not just, I'm going to try harder to do better. But Lord God, I'm going to die better. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to crucify my flesh by your spirit. So that's what we must die Two, how, what are we to live for? How are we to live for the glory of God in this upcoming year as we take our next best step? Well, the first one is this. We are to remain rooted in Christ. We remain rooted in Christ. Now, I'm not talking about salvation here. I'm not talking about, oh, well, you got to be careful not to lose your salvation. That's not what we're talking about. All right. Bible is clear. We're secure in Christ. But in John chapter 15, verse 8, look at this. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. And so prove to be my disciples by bearing fruit. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Stay put in my love. Stay rooted in my love. Don't move outside of my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, that your joy may be full. He says it's joyous to obey my Father. It's joyous to remain in his love, in my love, to abide, to stay put. If you love me, 
keep my commandments, says Jesus. Now that's not, well, I, I didn't keep his commandments, so he doesn't love me anymore. No, 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 no. It's not what he's saying. The idea is if I'm staying put in his love and I'm experiencing his love and I'm loving him back, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to follow him. I'm going to die to self. I'm going to stay rooted in Christ. Colossians chapter one, verse nine. And so Paul writes, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. Listen, look what Paul asks, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Paul is praying for the church there and he's saying, I'm praying that you will have spiritual wisdom. I pray that you will have spiritual knowledge. I'm praying that you will understand, know Christ, understand this wisdom that comes through Christ. And is that the end product? No. Look at verse 10. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. He's saying, I'm praying that you'll have wisdom and you'll have understanding and that you'll have knowledge and that you, by doing that, that you have a biblical knowledge, you have a spiritual knowledge of Christ, a growing spiritual knowledge of Christ, so that you may walk in a manner that is worthy of the Lord, so that you may live that out in your life, so that you will bear fruit. This is what Jesus says. You, you bear fruit, that's the proof that you're my disciples. The fruit is proof of the root. Whenever you're rooted in Christ, you will bear fruit. It will come out. If, you had a, if somebody said, look at my fruit tree, and there's no fruit ever on it, you would say, it's not much of a fruit tree. Think maybe you have an ornamental. It's not a, it doesn't appear to be a fruit tree. The proof the proof of that, that fruit, when it comes, that shows, yes, there is a root. And that root is, is rooted in Christ. And whenever we have that spiritual fruit that we show in our lives, that is proof that we continue to be rooted in him. We're living for him. Then we are to live every day by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul writes in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walk by the Spirit. Conduct your everyday life being controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. Now, how do you do that? Everything we've just talked about. You die to self, you remain rooted in Christ, and you rely upon the Holy Spirit's power. You rely upon Him to work through you. I remember Francis Chan wrote one time, he said, if, if, if I were a basketball player and I told you that I have a supernatural being living inside of me to help me play basketball he said you would expect me to play basketball in a way that ran very contrary to the way that other humans play basketball if, if, somebody, if somebody said you know I got a supernatural being in me that empowers me to play basketball well, let's see what you got, because clearly this is different. And he said, by the same token, we have a supernatural being within us, God himself, who enables us to live a life for him. And if that is the case, 
then we should look qualitatively different from the rest of the world who is operating without the power of the Holy Spirit. There should be things in our life that the world looks at and says, hmm, something's different about that. There, there's, there's something going on there that I don't understand. There's some power going on there that I don't, that I don't, I don't get. We are to live every day by the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and can I just tell you, that takes continual surrender. That's a continual process. That sometimes is a moment-by-moment moment process. Because we like to take control. We like to seize control of the reins ourselves instead of relying completely upon the Holy Spirit of God. And finally, we find this. We continually surrender to the will of God. It's continual reliance on the Holy Spirit. It's a continual surrender to the will of God. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. Notice that. Arm yourselves. Use this as a weapon. Equip yourself and get ready for battle. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Putting sin to death, putting that sin to death by the power of the Holy Spirit, that is a continual surrender. It's a continual, and, and we no longer live for human passions, but for the will of God. That's our ultimate goal. We're living for the will of God. We're surrendering to the will of God. You know that the will of God, let me back up more stuff. You know when we talk about sin, and there's an old saying about sin. We say, sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. Have you ever heard that? Can I just tell you, there's something very similar that happens with the will of God. The will of God will take you places that you never thought you would go. And the will of God will call you to moments and for periods of time that you never thought you would go through. And the will of God is always, always, always worth the cost. No matter what the temporal cost is, the will of God is always worth it because it is for an eternal glory. Brings us to our last verse. This verse, people have spilt a lot of ink over this verse. And I've read numerous commentaries on this verse. And I'm not saying I got it all figured out, but I can say that I think it's a whole lot simpler than a lot of the guys have made it out to be. Paul uses some language and some grammar in this one verse that seems, they seem odd as compared to his other writings. But this one verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is their yes in Jesus. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. Some people have said that's kind of strange. Kind of strange verbiage. And it is. All the promises of God find their yes in Christ. Every promise that God has ever made finds its yes in Christ. It's fulfillment. It's yes. Christ is the fullness of the promises of God. But because Christ is the answer, and that answer is yes in Christ, we come to that second phrase, this is why it is through him we utter our amen to God for his glory. What does that have to do with continually surrendering to the will of God? 
Because it is through Christ that we utter our amen. You know what amen means? So be it. So be it. So literally, it's, that is why it is through him, through Christ, that we utter our so be it to God for his glory. That means when God says something, we say amen. And our amen means so be it. So let your will be done, God. Not my will, your will. So let what you have promised come to pass. It is the best thing. So be it. This is my will for your life, says God. Amen. So be it, God. Not the will I would have chosen for myself in my lack of knowledge and understanding. And by the way, the will of God is exactly what each one of us would choose had we had the full knowledge that God has. If we understood everything as God understands things and we had the full wisdom and knowledge of God, and if we looked upon the will of God for our lives, we would say, that's exactly the best thing for me. The will of God is exactly what we would choose if we had all the information. So we can say in faith, so be it. God, I may not have all the details, but that's your will for me. So be it. We continually surrender to the will of God. And that's a continual process day by day, moment by moment sometimes. Yes, God, so be it. Amen, God. Amen. That is how each one of us takes our next best step of faith in Christ. Some of us have known Christ for many, many years. Maybe now it's time for us to take that next best step. Maybe it's been a while since you've taken that next best step. Maybe you've just sort of hung back and been sort of stagnant, just uh, not been growing. Maybe 2020 has been a time where you have said, I've just sort of kicked it into neutral and just coasted through 2020, spiritually speaking. Listen, it's, it's time to put it back in drive. It's time to move forward. It's time to take your next best step. And you may be here today, you may be listening or watching, and you have never taken that first step, that first step toward Christ, that first step of salvation, that God is prepared in the person of Christ, that he sent his son, his only son, to live a perfect life, die a sinner's death on a cross in our place. He died in our place to satisfy the wrath of God. Not because God's a mean, angry God, but because God is a holy God. And sin cannot be in his presence. And Jesus died in our place so that if we trust in his sacrifice, that he took our place, our penalty, our wrath, our sin, then we can know God, we can have a home with God for all eternity, and we can glorify God for all eternity in his presence. That's what he calls us to. That's what he calls salvation. So we come to him, only him by salvation. We can't commit enough to achieve salvation. We surrender to the work that's already been accomplished in Jesus. If you've never done that, let me encourage you. Let today be the day that you say yes to God because all the promises find their yes in Christ. And we can say so be it. Amen and amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we come before you. And Lord God, we give you thanks that you don't, you don't leave us without direction for our next best step. That you don't, you don't bring us 
into relationship, into fellowship with yourself through Jesus and then say, figure it out. You're on your own. No, you empower us. You indwell us by the Holy Spirit. And we rely upon the Holy Spirit's power. We rely upon the power of Christ because he's already died on a cross for our sins and then we can rely upon that power to daily die to ourselves. Father, I pray for anybody here, anybody listening or watching and you've been tapping on the door of their heart. You've been working in their mind and their thoughts and showing them what their next best step is. And Father, maybe they're scared. Maybe they're looking at it and they're saying, I, I just don't know if it's worth it. Lord God, show them that it is. Show them that the cost of remaining the same is far, far higher than the cost of change. Ultimately. Father, if there's anyone here or listening, watching, they're, they're locked in that, that passing pleasure of sin. They've stepped back into that open jail cell and they're living as though they are prisoners of sin, even though you have set them free by Christ. Father, I pray that today would be the day they would say, no more, no more. I'm going to die to self and I'm going to step out and live in the freedom that Christ has given me. Father, and I pray for anybody that has never made the decision to follow you. I pray today would be the day that they would say, Lord God, please forgive me of my sins. I trust Christ for my salvation and I want to surrender and follow him for the rest of my days and live for him the rest of my time here on earth. Father, I pray today would be the day that many would say yes to Jesus. So Father, I pray whatever decision needs to be made now that we would do so for your glory, not only now in this moment, but in the days to come, recognizing that that invitation is always open. We don't have to be here in this church building to make a decision to follow you, to take that next best step. Father, I pray that we'd be found faithful. And Father, we thank you for your love, for your mercy, and for your grace, and for all the yeses that come through Jesus. May we come before him, before you, and in every area of our life, be able to say, so be it. Amen. To every single part of your will for our lives. And we ask this in Jesus' name.